Good morning. Let me, let me get myself set up here. I got to do like I did back in the day, get myself organized here. Well, once again, good morning, man. It is great to be here with you today. Amen. Being in the house of the Lord. This is just our third Sunday being back in church. So, you know, I, I think everybody's adjusting and trying to, you know, see how we're going to do this during this post-pandemic, if that's, if that's the situation we're in right now. So we're just glad to be here with you. And, you know, I just know that Today, you're not here by accident. There's no such thing as an accident. In eternity past, God knew today that we would be here together. And so what God has to say, you know, to me and through me, you know, God is speaking to you, and it's either a word you're going to receive or a word you'll give to someone else. And so I'm excited just to be a part of what God is doing. Just to think about that, though. I mean, think about that, that God knew in eternity past that, you know, he knows us by name, and man, we're going to be hanging out here today together uh, and, and, and hearing his word taught to you today, and I, I just pray that uh, God will be glorified in this time. I want to pray first, because a lot of times I get going, and if you don't pray, people say, hey, man, you forgot to pray. I said, man, I've been praying for ever since Pastor Chris asked me. <laughs> it, it, you know, and I'm going to tell you what, this Sunday got here real quick. Because before, man, well, I got three weeks, I got two weeks, I got one week. And man, I would pray and say, Lord, if you're willing in three weeks, Lord, if you're willing in two weeks, and Lord, here it is today. Oh, my goodness, Lord. So if you're willing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are God and beside you there is no other. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to call on your name, Lord, to, to trust you, to hear your word, Lord, and just know how much you love us. So, Father God, be glorified in all that's said and done, Lord. Thank you for what you've put in my heart. Thank you, Lord, for what you want to say, Lord. Thank you that you have the, the freedom, Lord, to, to erase my mind and that say, don't say that. So, dear God, I just thank you for the freedom that we have here today. But most of all, Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified. I thank you and praise you, Father. For it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know, I got family here today, and my cousin does a lot of speaking also. And so I remember I was telling my cousin yesterday, just talking about getting ready to speak. And, you know, my cousin said, yeah, man, some people have a hard time knowing how to land the plane. And I, and I tell my wife, my wife knows, for me, my problem is the takeoff. You know, my wife will always ask me, so how you doing? I said, man, I just don't know how to get started. You know, I said, my, my problem is always the takeoff. I think God gives me a way to land it, but it's just how, how am I going to take off? How, how am I going to do this? So that's always interesting for me. So I always say, Lord, show me how, you, show me how you're going to do this. So, but anyway, I say, I got family here. I got my brother, my cousin here. Man, I got the lights on me. Where, where, my, where my twin brother at? Oh, they, oh, there they are over there. So there's my brother over there. Some people thought it was, you know, man, they know that's my brother right there. And my sister-in-law, his wife, Evelyn, and my daughter. And then I got two of my college friends here. One was my wife's roommate, Karen and Mary. And, and they're here today with us also. So they're visiting out of town. Thank you for welcoming. I'm going to crack on my girl, Karen, though. My Karen, now, Karen's from Youngstown, Ohio, like I am. And so when we were in college, you know, the guys, we would sit at the table in the dining hall. And you wouldn't sit at our table. <laughs> you had to be tough to sit at our table. Because we crack on you. We played the dozen, you know, it, and it was no, no one was safe. But there was only one female in the school that would sit at that table, and she could throw down just as good as any guy in there. And that was my girl, Karen. That's right. That's right. So, so she, she was good at it. So I tell you, so let's, let's get going. A couple years ago, I was watching a Thursday night game. 
and the Seattle Seahawks were playing the Los Angeles Rams. And right at the end of the game, the game was on the line. And the defense was getting ready to go out on the field and victory was going to be either achieved by what they did or they would lose. And they knew, man, this was a critical situation. And the defensive captain, they had him mic'd up. That's when some of you, if you watch some football games, they put a mic on the guy and you can hear what's being said during the game, in the huddle, on the sideline, so you get a chance to hear what's happening on the field and on the sideline. And so right before they got ready to go out on the field, Bobby Wagner was standing with his back to the field facing his teammates and he yelled these words at him. Get your minds right. Get your minds right. And you just think about it. He's saying, man, we know what's on the line. We know what we have to do. Get your minds right. And that's what I want to say to us today. You know, I think even as myself is coming up here, preparing the word, and this pastor has done it, Sister Doreen's done it, Felicia, everybody that's up here, man, you get your mind right. Pastor Jerry, you know what we're talking about, man. You got to get your mind right. You know what, even when we sit out there, we come and we're sitting in, in, in the chairs there, man, you need to get your minds right. You can't just wander in here and say, oh, you know, you got to get your mind. Why are you here? Did you come here to be entertained or instructed? Did you come to be moved emotionally or to obedience? I mean, did you come because you just want to check it off the list and say, well, I went to church today. Now, we got to get our minds right. Because in this day and age, as we're coming out of this pandemic, I sure hope that we come out differently than what we went in. Because when I hear people say, man, I just want to get back to normal. I just want to get back to the way it was. Man, I hope not for the church. I hope you say, no, no, it's got to be different. So I, I want to encourage you, man, get your minds right. You know, God said in his word in Romans 8, 5, and 6, he says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Man, it's a mindset. We got to set our minds. And so I know as an athlete, I think about how before the game would start, man, you're in that locker room, man, you're getting your mind right. Bernard, you know that, don't you, bro? Get, you got to, get that, got to get that mind right. So that, that's what we're talking about, getting our minds right. So I, I just want to share that with you. You know, there's a saying I heard be what you is and not what you ain't. Because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. Be what you is, not what you ain't. Because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. You know, I know what God wants to do and how God does that in us being ourselves. God wants to use our experience, our personality, our passion, our ability, our gifting, and our opportunities. And when, that, when, when those six roads intersect, there you find God's destiny and will for you. And I think for me, when God says, be what you is and not what you ain't, as I have to come and, and, and preach behind this man, one of the greatest preachers I ever heard, God says, if I wanted you to preach like Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris would be up there preaching. <laughs> Pastor G, I remember when we were in Seattle, looking for, you know, Hutch, our senior pastor had passed away, and we were looking for, you know, talking about doing a pastoral search, and we were on this uh, conference call with one of my pastor friends in Northern California, and 
We just kept saying, you know, we're talking about, well, here's how we did it when Hutch was here. Here's how we did it when Hutch was here. And finally, my friend on the other, on other line said, you know what? If God wanted it done the way when Hutch was there, Hutch would still be there. Be what you is and not what you ain't. Because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. So God said, man, be you. And what God has done for me, God has said, man, I want to take the passions I've given you, the personality I've given you, the experiences I've given you, the ability and gifts and the opportunities I've given you, and I want to use that for my glory. And so I thank God for that. But so what has happened for me is is I find that sports, because I was involved in sports 25 years as an athlete, as a player, you know, I played the game as an athlete, being a teammate, being on a team, being accountable and dependable to other people. Then God allowed me to spend 32 years as a coach, being on a coaching staff, you know, being, being part of a team where you had people that were dependable, depending on you, you were accountable and you, there was some responsibility. Man, I've had an opportunity, man, to be a husband and a father. And as a matter of fact, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of holy deadlock, I mean wedlock, uh, this week. Yeah, yeah, that's my baby right there. So God has given me that opportunity to be a husband and a father. Like I said, got my daughter here, you know, and so man, it, so God has given me that opportunity. And here's what I, I got to tell you I found. Being a football player, And being a Christian, I want to use that as an example also. And God's given me the opportunity to be a Christian, a member of a church, and a leader in the church, an elder. And how similar they are. How similar those those things are. You know, and so, man, when I get up here to encourage, challenge, warn, instruct you, I come from a standpoint of saying, man, you know what? Being an athlete is not much, man, it's the same mindset as being a Christian. Being a member of a team is the same as being a member in a church. Man, so it's similar. So as I, as I look at these things, I said, that's why I have an easier time somewhat in trying to speak to you because I said, man, there's so many similarities. Like I think about the mindset of great athletes and the mindset of great Christians. I think, Pastor, you know the story. One of my favorite guys that I always talk about is Eddie George. Mindset. Remember now, mindset makes a difference. We're at training camp down in Metro Center. It's 100 degrees, humidity's 95. Man, it's hot. We're working hard. We're getting it done, man. We're challenging. Man, we're talking about championship that year. And so it's training camp. We're doing two-a-days. And we come into the meeting room, and I'm getting ready to start my individual meeting. And my man, Eddie George, he sat to the right over here. And so sitting to his left and behind him were other players. And before I started the meeting, all you heard these guys in there doing was, man, it sure is hot. Man, we sure are working hard. Man, I sure am tired. Man, it sure is tough out here. Man, my body is really sore. And what they're waiting for, they're waiting for Eddie to say something. Because Eddie was a Heisman Trophy winner. His first year in the league, he was rookie of the year. And he had gone to four straight Pro Bowls. So if Eddie says something, if he co-signs on this stuff, they'll be validated. So they're waiting for Eddie to say something. Oh, mindset. Perspective. Eddie George finally did say something. He turned to the guys and he said, look here, guys. It's training camp. It's supposed to be hot. 
You're supposed to be tired. We're supposed to work hard. He said, man, this is what gets you ready. I said, see, that's why he's Eddie George. Because what you see as a problem, he sees as preparation. What you complain about, he sees that as something that's challenging him to try to keep him from being great. Perspective. How you see things, man. Mindset. Eddie's mindset was different. Oh, man, you see that in the, in the great men and women in, in, in the body of Christ. The guy that led me to Christ, Ken Hutcherson. Man, he blows his knee out. Knee's blown out. Man, they take him in the locker room, x-ray his knee. They said it looked like his knee exploded. Your career is over. Man, I'm friends with this guy. Let me run in the locker room and, and, and comfort this guy. Go in the locker room. Guy's got a smile on his face. Perspective. Mindset. He smiles at me and he says, Sherm, Sherm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God has planned for my life. You see, Sherm, I'm a Christian and nothing happens in my life that's not filtered through God's hands first. I'm excited to see what God has planned for me. When Jonathan Pitts was here, he told you that quote that Doc Evans said, if all you see is what you see, then all you see is not all to be seen. That's what Hutch said to me in 1976. He was saying, Sherm, if all you see is what you see, then all you see is not what's to be seen. Man, I'm excited to see what God has planned for my life. Mindset. It makes a difference. I think about the, the correlation between, as we understand the importance of being in a huddle. Today, we are in a huddle. You, you see in sporting events how people get in the huddle. Man, because good stuff happens in the huddle. Good stuff happens in the huddle, man. We, we know, first, the thing we know is we know the battle is not in the huddle. There's no battle in the huddle. You go to the huddle to get encouraged, challenged, warned, or instructed. When I play football, man, you go in the huddle, man, they come, hey, man, good job. Keep up the work. Get encouraged. You get challenged. Come on, guys. We got to get it done right here. You get a word of warning. Hey, watch out. In this situation, here's what they like to do. And then finally, the quarterback gives you a, a word of instruction. He calls the play. So you get encouraged, challenged, warned, and instructed. But then what happens? Since the battle's not in the huddle, you must leave the huddle. Could you imagine watching a football game and they stayed in the huddle? They, they just stay in the huddle all the time. No, no, you have to leave the huddle. Is that right, Bernard? You got to break the huddle. You got to leave the huddle. But the thing that's supposed to happen is you're supposed to leave the huddle differently than what you came in. Because you got, you got encouraged, challenged, warned, and instructed. You should leave the huddle differently than what you came in. And then the final thing, you must apply what you got in the huddle. That's what happens in football. Oh, is it different in the church? Is it different here? Man, we're in a huddle right here. God said in his word in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. We get to come to the huddle to be encouraged, challenged, warned and instructed, recognizing the battle's not in here. And we're, in the, we're gonna end up leaving. We're gonna break the huddle. And when we leave here, we should leave here differently than what we came in. And we should apply what we got in the huddle. Remember now, I talked about getting your mind right. Because if you're not going to apply what you got in the huddle, I got a question for you. Why'd you come? You might as well stay at home. 
If a word, you don't get a word of encouragement, a word that challenges you, warns and instructs you, you should have stayed at home. Get your minds right. The huddle is really important. Oh, I got one more example for you, too. I got to use this one, too. This is a good one, too. In sports, too. Now, a lot of you have played in sports. Do you ever have, have those teammates, man, that they're really, I mean, they're all pro, they're all city, they're all state in the locker room? I mean, in the locker room, they're pretty good. Oh, I'm going to do this. I get in the game, man, I'm going to bust that cat in his mouth. Man, I'm going to do this. You know, they're pretty good in the locker room. Oh, man, that, the locker room's a long way from the battle, from the football field or the basketball court. So, man, they're really good in, in the locker room. I tell you what, I've even had some teammates, man, they're even good on the sideline. They're a little bit closer to the action. They're even good on the sideline. Man, you, you, man on the side, man, when I get in this game, man, I'm going to go out there, man, I'm going to do boom, boom, I'm going to get it done. But something happens. When they have to step in between those white lines, and all of a sudden you said, man, I thought he said he was going to do this. Man, you were talking about all this stuff. Man, you didn't get it done. What's up with you? Man, you talk a good game. Oh, man, that happens in the church too. We're good in the locker room in here. Oh, we're good in here. We talk a good game in here. Oh, we sing songs. Felicia led us in worship this morning. Man, we sing those songs. But in here, we're good. Oh, man, I got to tell you something. We're even pretty good when we leave here, too. We're pretty good when we get out there in the parking lot. I, you know, I'm going to give us credit. We get further than the parking lot. We're good there, man. We're even good maybe when we get home. We're even good maybe when we get to the job. But something happens. When it's time for us to apply what we got in the huddle. Oh, see, we got similarities between in sports and also in the church. So I would just want to come along today and I just want to encourage you. I just want, I want to encourage you today like I encouraged my players, like I was encouraged. Because so many times you see in the Christian walk, it seems like we've been discouraged. We've been distracted. We start having doubt. We've been deceived. We're in despair. We've lost hope. So I just want to come alongside and I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you the way a friend of mine came and encouraged me, the guy that led me to Christ. And I'm going to tell you how he encouraged me. He came to me because he could tell by how I was living that this brother seems like he's been, he's, he's been discouraged. This brother looks look like he's been distracted. Man, this looks like this guy got some, man, he's got some doubts. Man, he's been deceived. This brother looked like he's in despair. So he came to me and said, Sherman, man, I want you to do me a favor. I mean, this is a guy that led me to Christ. Man, I know he loved me. He said, man, do me a favor. I said, man, anything for you. He said, stop telling people you're a Christian. He said, the name of Christ is being blasphemed and ridiculed because of you. He said, stop telling people you're a Christian. He said, you're making it tough on the rest of us who are trying to live and make a difference for Christ. And I knew he was telling the truth. But the question that he asked me is a question that got me the most. And he looked at me, and he asked this question, and I could see as much anger, there was as much anger in his voice as there was disappointment and hurt. And he looked at me and he said, don't you know who you are? 
don't you know who you are? Man, I knew he knew who he was because when he said that to me that day in 1976, sitting on that bench with ice packs on his knees, that I'm excited to see what God has planned for my life. He said, man, I'm a child of the king. Man, don't you know who you are? And one of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, man, right there, another verse right there, Paul gives us our identity. And in your identity, you find God's purpose, God's provision, and God's promises. And Hutch was saying, man, don't you know who you are? So I want to encourage you today in our walk. I want to encourage you in who you are and whose you are, because you're going to discover why you are. I want to encourage you in that. We were going to play the NFC Championship game in 2013. Once again, I'll take this parallel from football to the church. We're going to play the San Francisco 49ers. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. And so I'm the running back coach, and the guy comes to me and says, Sherm, we're going to run this play. It's called the inside zone run. Hey, we're going to run this play. Now, I know this play. We've been running it all year, and this is a play, man, it's not always successful. You don't always get a lot of yards on this play, not all the time. So I know there's a good possibility these guys are going to be discouraged. This play, doing it, you can get distracted. You can start having doubt. You can be deceived, and you can get in despair. So I had to talk to my guys. I had to get their minds right about this play. I had to give them some instruction on this play. Because I didn't want them to be discouraged, distracted, doubt, deceived, and in despair. So I said, man, guys, when we run this play, I just want you to remember this. Let me give you these points. No cut is the best cut. I said, you got to get that understand. You got to understand that's the main thinking of this play. You got to understand on this play, no cut is the best cut. You know, to get into football terms, it's like, man, don't just run all over the place. You got to think, man, I'm just going straight ahead. You got to think in your mind, no cutters, you got to know what's critical for this play to work. And that was the most critical thing about this play working was you got to think, no cut is the best cut. Then the next thing I told him, I said, you got to press the hole. When I was telling him about pressing the hole, I said, you can't get distracted because as you're going forward, thinking no cut is the best cut, you're going to have all kinds of stuff going on around you. All kinds of stuff's going to be distracting you. But man, you got to keep going forward. You got to press the hole. Keep going forward. Don't get distracted. Man, no cuts the best cut. Press the hole. Then I said, you got to read your key. As I'm thinking no cut is the best cut, and as I'm pressing the hole, I say, you got to read your key. What I meant by reading your key is you got to look at what tells you what to do. You got to look at what is the truth. This is what's going to tell you what to do. You got to know that. Read your key. Don't get distracted, man. Read your key. Then I say, you got to believe what you see. You got to believe what you see. When you get to that point, man, no cuts the best cut. I press the hole. I've read my key. Now, man, obey. Respond. Do what it says to do. So, man, I, I'm, all week I'm giving them another point. Hey, no cuts the best cut. Press the hole. Read your key. Believe what you see. So we get in the game, and as usual, here's what happened, man. You know, San Francisco's doing a great job. You know, we're not getting a lot of yards on this play. And so right before halftime, we're losing 10-7 right before halftime. And so um, they tell us, hey, man, we're going to run this inside zone play. So I go back there, and I'm looking, and right now I go back there, and they're having a, 
must be having a, I, I hope it wasn't a players only meeting because I look in the back on the sideline and I see the offensive linemen around Marshawn and my, my running backs. So I go back there and I stick my ear in the huddle and I want to hear what they're talking about. And they said, Marshawn, instead of you pressing the hole, why don't you set them up for us a little bit? Why don't you lean to the left a little bit and then that guy will, you'll influence him and I'll come off and I'll, I'll instead of me taking this step, I'll do this. And they, they, they're going through all this stuff, you know, talking about it. So then they finally get through and my man Marshawn looks up at me and says, well, what you think? What you think? I said, well, I'll tell you what I think. I've been saying it all week. No cut is the best cut. Press the hole. Read your key. Believe what you see. That's what I think. Stop making up stuff. So we go out, go in at halftime, come back out. Man, we're going to run this play. And guys, get ready to run that video for me. And so what happened is, so once, right before he goes on the field, I give him the word again. Remember, man, what we said. No cuts the best cut. Press the hole, read your key, believe what you see. Don't be making up stuff. And you'll see in this, go ahead and run the video. You'll see if you can see this. Marshawn's going to be the last one probably get to the huddle. Sit right there. Last one to get into the huddle because we were having that conversation. Right there, right before, so right before he goes in the huddle, he gets the word. Now, Marshawn, I didn't show all the other stuff that happens. Marshawn is very calm and collected after he scores a touchdown. He's not one of these guys that's throwing the ball around and all that stuff. He shakes your hand, shake, he's shaking hands, and he's walking back to the sideline. And so I, I go to greet him, and I'm getting about, about 10 yards from him, and he's screaming at me. No cut is the best cut. Press the hole, read your key, believe what you see, stop making up stuff. Oh man, that was good stuff. That's good stuff. You know what, I wanna come and I wanna encourage you today. Something may be going on in your life. Something may be happening with you, man, where man, you're discouraged. Man, something may be going on, man, that's happening in your life, man. You distracted, this kind of stuff going on. Man, if something's going on in your life, man. There may be some doubts. Man, you may feel like, man, you've been deceived. Man, I tell you what, you might be in despair, feel like you've lost hope. So I want to say something to you today. I want to give you a word of encouragement. No cut is the best cut. You got to press the hole. You got to read your key. You got to believe what you see. You got to stop making up stuff. Yeah. Oh man, no cut is the best cut. What do we tell them? That tells you what's the most important thing. Ephesians 2.10, man, God says in his word, he says, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared ahead of time for us to do. Right. The key when I say to it, no cut is the best cut is our identity. Our identity in Christ is the key. Yeah. 
Knowing who you are and whose you are. You got to understand, man, our identity. That is the truth that Satan does not want any of us to get. He doesn't want you to know who you are. He doesn't want you to think like you're royalty because if you start thinking like you're royalty, you might start acting like royalty. He, does, he wants you to think like you're nobody and you don't matter because, you know, he might trick you into acting like you, you don't matter and you're nobody. Identity is the key. Now, Tony Evans, he gives 15 essentials of spiritual growth. And the first one he says is being in Christ. That's the foundation. Being in Christ is the foundation. But he says, number two, identity is the key. Then he says, sin is the hindrance. Sin is the hindrance to spiritual growth. Faith is the action of spiritual growth. Grace is the context of spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is the enabler of spiritual growth. The Word of God is the food for spiritual growth. Prayer is access to spiritual growth. The church is the context of spiritual growth. Giving is the generosity of spiritual growth. Trials is the testing of spiritual growth. Temptation is the battle of spiritual growth. Calling is the ministry of spiritual growth. Obedience is the response of spiritual growth. And maturity is the goal of spiritual growth. The key, the key to spiritual growth, the key is identity. Knowing who we are in Christ. That is critical in understanding who we are because it's in understanding who we are and understanding our identity, we find our purpose, we find God's provision, and we find God's promises. So here's what I want to tell you about your new identity. Because of our new identity, we're God's children. John 1.12 says, to those who received him, to them he gave a right to be called the children of God, as many as believed in his name. 1 John 3.1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Man, we're children of the King. And because we're children of the King, God has given us dominion, glory, and honor. It comes from God our Father because of who we are. Man, don't you know who you are? Because of our new identity. And Ephesians, when it says, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus there it is right there. That's our identity. I'm in Christ. In Christ. That's my identity. Some people say I'm a Christian. Some people say, man, I'm in Christ. Man, that's my identity. So, man, I want to give you these quick points about the good thing about our identity. Man, we got a new identity. Because we got a new identity, we got a new purpose. We find our purpose. Oh, I got this trophy right here. You can't see it. This Super Bowl trophy right here. And this trophy is given to the winner of every team that wins the Super Bowl. And they take this trophy and they put this trophy in their team headquarters, wherever that's at. And they put it on display for you to see. And man, this is a beautiful trophy. The craftsmanship is outstanding. And you look at this trophy, man, man, that's a beautiful trophy. But the purpose of this trophy being in the trophy case is not for you to admire the trophy. See, the purpose of the trophy is to bring glory, to bring credit, to bring honor to the owner of the trophy. 
it's supposed to say something about the owner of the trophy. We're not to glare at the trophy. The purpose of a trophy is to bring honor, respect. It's to say something about the owner of the trophy. You and I have accepted Jesus Christ. We are trophies of God's grace. And wherever God has put us, wherever God sets us, in your home, on your job, in your school, in your neighborhood, wherever God sets you, he sets you there and he says, I want you to bring me glory. He said in Ephesians, he said, he, God, he said, we're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. God wants glory to go to the master of the peace. That's why we're here. That's our purpose, man. We're trophies of God's grace. And wherever he puts us, God says, man, bring glory to my name. That's our purpose. Because that's what he said in Ephesians 2.10. He says, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Then he gives a purpose for good works. And what does Matthew 5.16 say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who art in there. Man, God said, I created you. You weren't saved by works. You were saved for works that will bring glory to my name. Don't you know who you are? You got a new purpose. You're living under new management. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And here it comes. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're living under new management. I used to love it. I told Pastor Chris, well, he was doing, remember that year we were, pre-pandemic, we were doing baptismals. We do, man, we were doing them three or four weeks in a row. And I love that. When pastor would take the guy down in the water, I've been crucified with Christ. He'd bring him up. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. And then I would always picture when that person was stepping out of the baptismal pool, it was like, and the life that I now live, I live by faith. We're living under new management. We now live by faith. So man, I got a new identity. I got new purpose. Now I'm living under new management. And I tell you what, I got new power. Once again, I'll go back to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwells within us. The Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 16, 17. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another. You won't do the things that you please. Man, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. God has given us the power that we need. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, For his divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called to us by his glory and goodness. God says, not giving you everything. My divine power has given you all that you need. Man, we got new power. I'll tell you what else we got. We got a new mindset. We think differently. Oh, I know everybody knows 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But the verse before that is what they were talking about, where he says, you know, we no longer judge any man according to the flesh, even though at one time we judge Christ that way. Therefore, if any man is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Man, we think differently. We think differently about race because we understand grace. 
We think differently. But also Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. We think differently. We got a different mindset. Oh, man, we got, new, we got a new guide, God's word. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God is adequately equipped for every good work. Man, we got a new guy. God's word teaches us what is right, what isn't right, how to get right and how to stay right. We got a new guy. We got new, and guess what? We got new freedom. We can celebrate our own personal Juneteenth. You got your own personal Juneteenth. The day you accepted Christ, you got the chance to experience, to receive what God has for you. He said, you're no longer slaves of sin. You're now slaves of righteousness. God said, you've been set free. Romans 6, it talks about, man, God says, man, don't you know you're a slave to the one you obey? Sin resulting in death, obedience resulting in righteousness. And he says, man, you're no longer slaves of sin. You're now slaves of righteousness. So, man, I tell you what. We got new freedom. And Romans 8.1 tells us too, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're also free from the accusations and the guilt of our sins, past, present, and future. No matter what someone says to us, man, man, I've been set free because Christ paid the price. There's no condemnation. And the world and Satan and other people will want you to feel guilty, bring your past up to you, tell you about the mistakes you've made. Say, no, no, man, I've been set free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me hit this and hustle up here. So, man, we know what we got. We got a new identity. We got a new purpose. We got new power. Man, I tell you what, we got a new mindset. We got new freedom. We got a new guide. So that's when we said, to, I said to my running backs, no cut is the best cut. That's what they had to do. Next thing I tell them, man, press the hole. And that's why I want to encourage you. You got to press the hole. What is that? Don't get distracted. You got to keep going forward. Don't let things distract you. Back in the early 80s, Nancy Reagan had this slogan, just say no to drugs. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Just say no. Just say no. Just say no. And it just didn't work. It just didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because, see, you have to say yes before you say no. What you say yes to is the power, motive, and motivation behind you saying no. What have you said yes to? And that keeps you from getting distracted. So as I'm pressing the hole and I'm not getting distracted, I can say no to this and I can say no to this and I can say no to this because of what I said yes to. Man, you got to know what you said yes to. You have to say yes before you say no. Man, you got to know, man, who have I said yes to? Well, Matthew 6, 24, God says in his word that a man can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other, hold the one and despise the other. A man cannot so serve both God and money but, or God and yourself. Man, who am I saying yes to? God, I'm saying yes to you. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Man, do you know who you said yes to? Man, God, I'm saying yes to you. Do you know what you said yes to? Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to say no. 
Because I'm saying yes to God's grace, I can say no. Why am I saying yes? I like how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He said, it's the love of Christ that compels me. And I judge thus that one man died for all, therefore we all died. And we who live, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We say no because of the one who died for us and was raised again. Oh man, I know what I said yes to, who I said yes to, what I said yes to, and why I said yes to. Man, the love of Christ compels me. But I got one more that should compel us also. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, where it says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that you've received from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are his. Now, why do I say yes? Man, I've been bought with a price. And because I understand that, I understand what it means to pay for something. And man, everybody that pays for something, you want to get what you pay for. I think we all understand that. Man, we all want to get what we paid for. You know why I say yes? Because I'm going to ask you this question. If you accepted Jesus Christ, your body's a temple, you've been bought with the price. Let me ask you this. Is Christ getting what he paid for? Is Christ getting what he paid for? That's why I say yes. Because I want Jesus to get what he paid for. Oh man, no cut's the best cut. You got to press the hole. You got to know who you said yes to, what you said yes to, and why you said yes. You got to read your key. Oh man, read your key. You got to know what the truth is. The truth is the absolute standard by which all reality is measured. What is the truth in our lives? Jesus said in John 8, 32, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's not truth that sets you free. It's the truth that you know that sets you free. He said, you shall know the truth and it shall set you free. Then later on in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Then later on, John 17, 17, he said, Father, sanctify them in our truth. Your word is truth. So, man, as we're going along in this life, man, and I'm telling my guys, no cuts the best cut, press hold. And as they're going through all this, I'm saying, keep your eye on your key. Watch the key. Keep your eye on the key. Keep your eye on what tells you what to do. Oh, man, the writer of Hebrews had it right when he said in Hebrews 12.1, he said, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance in the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance to race that before us, fixing our eyes on Christ Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and sits at the right hand of God. Man, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Oh, man, no cuts the best cut. You got to press the hole. You got to read your key. You got to believe what you see. You got to obey. We got to do what God said to do. Don't be deceived. James 1.22 says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer, only deceiving yourselves. Don't be deceived. Let me share this story with you. I talked to a young man one time a few years ago, and he was calling me to, to let me know that he was going to have a difficult conversation with his bride to let her know that he had been unfaithful. And as he, as he was talking to, her, talking to me about it, I said, man, that's interesting. How did it come about, man? So what's going on? 
So he, he gave me a little more detail. So here's what we got into, talking about deception. So he, he told me, he said, you know, me and this lady, we were going back and forth, and she was telling me, you know what, you should just go ahead and leave your wife. Why don't you just go ahead and leave your wife? I said, no, nah, man, I'm not leaving my wife because I love her. And then she said to him, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. One more time, no, you don't. Yes, I do. And then she hit him right between the eye. She said, no, you don't. Because if you loved her, you wouldn't be here with me. If you loved her the way you're supposed to love her, you wouldn't be here with me. He had deceived himself into thinking just because he was there with that other woman didn't have anything to do with his love for his wife. But she said, no, if you love your wife the way you're supposed to love her, you wouldn't be here with me. Oh, man, we got an example. I think of our boy Peter in John 21 where Jesus restores Peter to ministry. Peter wasn't deceived. After they had breakfast and had some fish and all that other stuff, Jesus comes to Peter, and here's how he asked, he asked Peter the question. That pastor has taught us on this, how he asked the question. He said, Peter, do you love me? And what he was saying to Peter was, he said, Peter, do you sacrificially love me? Do you agape me? Do you sacrificially love me? He was saying, Peter, do you love me the way you're supposed to love me? Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Peter? Do you love me the way you're supposed to love me? And Peter, not being deceived, he says, Lord, I love you like a brother. Because if I loved you the way I was supposed to love you, I wouldn't have denied you. Jesus asked him a question again. Peter, do you agape me? Do you sacrificially love me? Peter, do you love me the way you're supposed to love me? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, oh, Lord, you know, I love you like a brother. Because, Lord, if I love you the way I was supposed to love you, I wouldn't have denied you. Then the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me like a brother, Lord? You know. Man, I'm not there yet, but I, I love you like a brother. Every time Peter gave a response, Jesus restored him to ministry. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Why? Because Peter was not deceived. He knew he wasn't there yet. A lot of times we get deceived. We're in our sin and we're deceived in thinking just because I'm not loving God the way I'm supposed to love him don't mean I don't love him. Man, God is okay with my partial obedience. God is okay with my half-hearted devotion and worship. Just because I'm not loving him the way I'm supposed to love him doesn't mean I don't love him. I want you to know and I want me to know as I encourage you as I encourage myself. That our sin and our sin is just as evident as that young man that was with that woman. Unfaithfulness to God because we're not loving God the way we're supposed to. And that is unfaith. We are being unfaithful to God if we're not loving him the way we're supposed to love him. No cut's the best cut. You got to press the hole. You got to read your key. You got to believe what you see. And finally, you got to stop making up stuff. Stop making up stuff. The story that I tell in this one here is, is I go to Joshua chapter one. And it's really great what God does here for us. And we need this. 
In Joshua chapter one, Moses has died. God has commissioned Joshua to take the children into the promised land. And God gave, man, God gave uh, Joshua some, some sure victory. He said, Joshua, man, you got sure victory. He says, the land that you're going in, you're going to possess the land. And he said, check this out. And nobody's going to be able to stand against you. God guaranteed the victory. You're going to get the land and no one's going to be able to stand against you. Then God gave him something else. He gave him sure power. He said, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Oh, man, that's good stuff. Sure power. Then he gave him a sure guide. He said, in this book of the law, don't let it depart from your eye. Do what it says to do and you'll be prosperous and you'll, and you'll have success. God gave him a sure guide. Then he came back at the end and he says, everywhere you go, just wherever you go, I'll be with you. Sure confidence. God said, man, I'm with you wherever you go. But in spite of the sure victory that God gave him, in spite of the sure power, in spite of the sure guide, in spite of the sure confidence, God said to Joshua three times in four verses, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. He said, be strong and courageous. See, it takes being strong and courageous to walk with God. We can no cuts the best cut, press the whole region key, believe what you see, all that stuff. Man, but I tell you what, at the end, you got to have some courage. But the part that I like even as much as that is the end of chapter one. When the people respond to Joshua, after Joshua has come to him and, and told him what God said, and the people said to Joshua, Joshua, we're going to go where you say to go. We're going to do what you say to do. And if they, people don't do what you say to do, we're going to put them to death. Then they said, but Joshua, be strong and courageous. I just want to encourage you today that as we understand who we are in the world that we live in, that no cut's the best cut. You got to know your identity. You got to press the hold. We got to know who, what, and why we said yes. We got to read the key. We got to know what the truth is in our life, God's word. We got to believe what we see. We got to obey. We got to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And check this out. If you're loving God with all, if we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we will be obeying him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't you know who you are? I'm going to ask these guys to start this song by Donald Lewis Pastor before you come up because this is talking about identity. And then after this song plays a little bit, then Pastor's going to come up. But man, don't you know who you are? Man, we're royalty. Go ahead. <laughs> 